0: A registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the united states the clarity for your path forward starts now here is kpp chief executive officer financial advisor
1: justin klein good afternoon fellow investors and welcome back to invest talk this is our friday october 21st 2022 edition and we are well we are just completed the third week of the fourth quarter so we're well underway and was today a shock for any of you markets were pretty volatile especially overnight you had issues over in japan and then there was some news uh, leakage out of the fed in regards to their plans for rate hikes or at least slower ones in the four in the the final meeting uh, in december and sparked a rally talked about this the fed pivot or pause and when people are positioned one way uh, just little slight news like this can uh, spark a big rally and uh, the big question is will it be sustained and we're going to look at that today but of course i'm justin klein i'm ready to take your questions this hour during our live stream program four to five pacific time or after hours you can always leave your message it's always 8 at 8 99 chart 24 hours a day seven days a week you, we are available for you to leave the message. Now, I've got a pack podcast. One is in regards to, our main focus point at least, is in regards to the UK financial turmoil, and will it spark a wider meltdown? I'll give you a hint. I don't think it will, but I think we're going to probably see rolling bouts of these type of things, and uh, I'll give you a sense of what I think the policy response will be. Hint similar to what you saw today. Now, time permitting, I want to touch a bit on a few other things. One is investor sentiment. I've been hitting on that, uh, but there's some recent surveys from the AAII, the American Association of Individual Investors, and we're going to look at what that is saying and could portend to what the next move will be uh, in in markets. And in kind of conjunction with that, what are the option markets saying and the breadth of the market uh, during these last uh, few weeks of sell-off and and rallies? And you've seen that a lot, right? Uh, Big rallies, big sell-offs, and that's uh, that's often a time where market's trying to find some semblance of a bottom, at least near term. Now, the third thing I want to potentially get to, or I guess it would be fourth, would be the the big deal that's not being made enough of a big deal, I think. And that is the CHIPS bill and how this is a huge pivot in industrial policy, in geopolitical policy uh, when it comes to different sectors. And we're going to look at that and what it could potentially mean going forward for many different countries. All right. So that's all, all on my mind, but ultimately I wanna hear from you. And we do have some voice bank questions to play. One is on SPSM, which is the Spiders Portfolio S&P 600 Small Cap ETF, as well as Stag Industries. So those are a couple of voice banks we're gonna to get to later, but it's Friday and I will be sharing some excerpts from the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. And that's coming up at about the halfway point in the program. So that's all planned out for this episode of Invest Talk, and I want to hear from you. 99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the S and P up about eighty seven points, very similar to the gain we saw on the reversal from the inflation data. Remember last week what was the last Thursday, and we had the sell off in the morning and a rally, and then big sell off Friday, another rally this Monday, and. We had some choppiness really for the middle of the week and then another big follow-through uh day. So you've had, I call it two major follow-through upside moves, breath I would call uh breath thrusts to the upside. And that's pretty encouraging, at least near term. Once again, I me saying there might be a there's a good chance of a market rally into year end, that's not saying that we're out of the woods, that the bear market is completely over. It may be. And you just have to really call balls and strikes. And here, these are good indications, at least in the near term. Uh, now, will a pause ultimately be enough? We shall see. Uh, my hunch is no, but you know, we'll 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 see how that that goes. So that was the market today. You had the dollar, uh, really uh, a, a pretty big down day, and then and that was one to me one of the tells. You said that big sell off on Friday, and the dollar didn't break out to new highs. Uh, the ten year did. Uh, and this also has to do with the yen. Remember, the yen is in free fall because Japan has a ton of debt. Uh, they, during yield curve control, they're not raising rates like the rest of the countries. And they import a lot of their raw materials, especially energy, which is more expensive these days. And therefore, they need to defend their currency because they're they're just basically importing all this inflation. We're exporting a bunch of inflation uh, to Japan. And so today, there was a yen, call a yen intervention, you know, the Bank of Japan coming in and trying to quell things. But the problem is one of the things they do to quell the, 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 the fall in the yen is to sell dollar assets, so mainly treasuries, and they buy yen to support the currency. But that's why you've seen this kind of step change higher on the 10-year. Now, I said four and a quarter on the 10-year is major, major resistance. And what it do today? It pierced that in a, in a pretty decent fashion and reversed, closed actually down one basis point to 4.21%. So we hit that four and a quarter level. We've had a reversal probably means at least a period of consolidation. could be a month, could be a quarter. could be two quarters. We'll see, but a uh, pretty big, I think uh milestone in the market, at least near term to kind of calm things down in the fed going from saying, Hey, basically the leak was we're probably we're gonna do 75 next meeting. It's not gonna be 100 basis points. It's gonna be 75. And then we're gonna do a lower, a smaller hike in the fourth quarter in, in, in December. And the market liked it because the market had priced in 75 and 75. So if they're only going to do 50 or 25, then that is a dovish comment. Sounds hawkish, but remember, it's all about market expectations and where that moved market expectations. And so that moved market expectations more dovishly, hence what you saw a bit of a sell off in the dollar, a bit of strength in the yen, etc. So that's really going on, what's going on behind the scenes and, and really the most important things: how... Uh, these foreign countries are dealing with sovereign debt situations that are really untenable. And basically, that's the UK, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and Japan. So that's kind of the overview of summation of what happened today. uh, And we'll see if we'll get more follow through next week. Now, let's get to our first listener question now on 888 chart. And uh, Justin, this is Mike from Louisville,
2: Kentucky. I have a question about BSM, Blackstone Minerals LP. It pays a very good dividend. It's in the oil sector, which is a good area to be in. It's the only area that's done well the last year. And I was curious, what do you think about that? The dividend is just under 10%. It's a royalty company, and it's a limited partnership. I know the issues with the limited partnership. I just don't know what their last year's UBTI was, and I look it up to see if I'm under the $1,000 exclusion in my retirement account. Like to know how to find that out, but I also like to have your comments and analysis on the royalties the good, the bad, and the indifferent on this. I do thank you in advance.
1: All right, looking at Blackstone Minerals LP, and you just touched on the biggest drawback of limited partnerships is owning them within a tax deferred account. The the taxable, the interest or the income is taxed at your ordinary income tax rate, not a special qualified dividend. So you have to adjust for that. So the 10%. Dividend yield doesn't look quite as good, um, but clearly it's in the oil and gas space. And this is an interesting one. A lot of people are used to oil companies that are in the E and P space, exploration and production. What Blackstone Minerals does is a little bit different. They own the mineral rights to about 16.8 million acres uh, located up onshore basin here in the continental U.S. So these are that owns the assets that the fracking companies, the big oil companies, are drilling on, and it gets. It, it negotiates that and it, it uh it, it gets a royalty stream from it right uh and that's where you know oil prices going up it helps them because they get a certain percentage of uh, the sales price etc it's structured in many different ways uh but that's the really big thing is the devil's in the details what are those what are those right what are those uh contracts look like and then one thing to consider with these is how long is their life of owning uh those mineral rights sometimes they expire we've definitely seen ones in the past that are similar to this where Uh, all of their rights expired uh, at a certain year. I can't remember the the exact name, but that's something to look at too is, okay, great. You may make a bunch of money over the next three, four years. What if in the year five, those royalty rights expire? Uh, So something definitely to look into. Now, I like this. It's kind of a a leveraged play on the price of oil. So you're going to get that dividend, tax implications, tax issues, definitely going to want to consider that. Uh, But I like it. I like hard assets. I like Uh, molecules over bits and this is has the right to a lot of very valuable molecules in the ground and making good money off of it so the chart looks good fundamentals are fine but you gotta look into the details a little bit more about those mineral rights and their contracts with the oil companies thanks for the call now it is an invest talk friday and i have a lot of material to cover but for me the most important topic is you and your questions so give me a call now during our live stream show or, or anytime the best talk listener line is 8899 chart
3: why do listener questions make invest talk better Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want.
1: I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call
3: Investor 888-99-CHART.
1: the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors and I
3: know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased.
1: You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Sid. He's in North Carolina looking at Google or I guess Alphabet. Do you own it or looking to buy it?
4: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin, first of all, good evening. Happy Friday. Thanks for thank taking my call and guiding us. I've been a long-time a listener and following almost 90% of your advice. So, thank <laughs> I you appreciate for all the that. Knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I do have a Google. I mean, I picked up at uh, 110, 115, uh-huh. and I know uh-huh. fundamentally you would agree with me that it's uh, one of the best company. So I'm thinking that is it still a good price to keep on adding or based on this dynamic, do you think we should wait till certain price from the entry point of view? So just like to validate one more time your thoughts on the entry point.
1: Uh, well, I think Google is going to struggle a little bit more as the economic cycle continues to decelerate. And we likely go into a recession sometime next year, early next year, uh, and, and remember, Back in 08, online advertising was something like 8% of all ad spending at that time. Now, it's 60%. So, it's going to be very very cyclical and that's why you've seen the revenues or earnings suddenly go negative in a negative growth this quarter. Uh, and revenue growth is also decelerating pretty rapidly. So, they benefited greatly from the pandemic and i think a lot of those gains are going to reverse and then some because of the slower economy um so technically you're still seeing you're not seeing a whole lot uh it's still in a downtrend i do think it could get a rally could it get a rally back to 115 to 120 uh, on a, a broad market rally on the, this pause i think that's certainly possible uh but the problem is is that i don't i still think it's a bit overvalued and it's going to probably mean, revert back to closer to $3 per share, which it earned 2, what was it, 245 in 2019. So I still think it's going to be above those levels, but in a down economy, ads are going to be cut. When people aren't spending money on physical goods nearly as much, ad, ad spending is going to be cut. You're already seeing that. Uh, and earnings expectations for this year and next year from analysts are continuing to be downgraded. So it's not a name that I would want to pick up quite yet. It is on the watch list. You're right, it is a great company. Obviously, basically Monopoly in search, YouTube's growing, and and a lot of things that they're doing right. But the problem is they're just in the bad part of the economic cycle. Where the major support is, right now it's trading at 101. I would say down, down around 90, that's the first major support. And then really where I'd want to pick it up is closer to 80. That's where I think it, it should show some good long, long-term support. Um, but... Now probably before a bounce uh, into the 200-day moving average, about 115, 120. That's what I'm kind of expecting. So it depends on your time horizon. I think you'll find a better buying opportunity over the next two, three years, uh, but uh, it could get a short-term rally. Thanks for the call, Sid. Now we're heading into a break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too, too complex or too simple. You set the agenda. Give us a call on talk at 888-99-CHART.
3: stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk-alize quiz. All right,
1: we're going to go also to North Carolina and talk with Gene. He wants to talk about bonds.
4: Yes. Uh, hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. You did a great job in a recent past about talking about Series I savings bonds. Mm-hmm. There's one aspect of it that hasn't been mentioned too often. I wonder if uh, I, I could mention it just a couple of words and, and ask sure. you a question about it. Sure. Go for it. it. it deals, right. So we know that there's an adjustable rate, which changes every six months, and, uh, yep. including next time would be November, November 1st. Um, also at that time they also assign a fixed rate and the fixed rate is fixed with that bond that if you buy it during those six months for up to thirty years Yep. and unfortunately of course it's not it's seldom talked about recently because the fixed rate has really been under has been zero or under one percent for the last ten or fifteen years Yep. and so no no one talks about it i For myself, I still hold some that have 1.5% fixed rate that was bought in 2007, I believe. Mm, And so, and what that does, it really kind of sets the floor for how much interest I get. Even though later on, every six months, even even though the adjustable rate can even fluctuate down to zero, at least I get Mm -hmm. Mm 1.4%. So I'm wondering. My question is, what determines what influences the fixed rate? Setting that, that rate um, on, on the Series I Savings Bonds, and what do you think it might be in the near future?
1: Well, frankly, I, I know that there is a fixed rate. I don't know exactly what what moves it. To be honest with you, uh, it could yeah. just be a, I, a decision by I, the Treasury. I'm not sure. That is something I, I don't yeah, look I, into. I tried into. to
4: track and just grab how the ten year looked versus the fixed mm-hmm. rate over time, and it mm-hmm. kind of, it kind of followed it, but it, I didn't know, but not really, it, it kind yeah. of did, I didn't know whether or not the fixed rate, whether it's fixed, uh, a fixed part, excuse me, a portion of the inflation rate, maybe a core inflation rate or a long-term inflation rate, or ha- or like you mentioned, has nothing to do with inflation at all. So yeah, I'm not sure.
1: I'll, it's that, definitely yeah. something I'm going to look, look into because I'm interested as well to see exactly how they set that. Remember these i bonds? They've been around since '98, but they haven't been very popular until recently because inflation's been very low. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, back
4: in, yeah, in two thousand two two thousand three, the fixed rate was over three percent. So people yeah. who, who who bought those, and even back then, you could buy thirty thousand per year, not mm-hmm. just ten thousand. So those yeah. people are right now are being paid over eleven or twelve percent uh, annually right now because they get the fixed rate and the, and the adjustable yeah. rate which is over nine. So 9%. you're getting
1: you're getting the nine point three plus the one point five floor, correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. So that is something to consider. Uh, like you said, the ones now have a zero percent uh, uh, fixed rate. So it's not like if you bought them and then you sold them when uh, the the fluctuating rate goes down. Uh, it's not like you're, you're missing out because I don't think they're going to go negative. Um, and you may be able to rebuy them at a higher uh, floor uh, down the line if that changes. So, uh, But I will look into that. I will look into what is determining uh, that fixed rate. It's a great question and a great little aspect and in, in detail of the bond space that most people don't pay attention to. So thank you for bringing that to our attention, Gene. All right, let's pivot over to a voicemail question next. Hey, Steven, Justin, I have a question for a
2: small cap ETF. It's the spider portfolio S&P 600 ticker symbol SPSM. I wanted to know what you guys thought about it as a long-term hold. I'm on the younger side. So I just heard Justin's, um, recent podcast and he was talking that it would be a good time to get into the small caps. So I wanted to see what you guys thought about this ETF. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I, I, if you want broad based index. Small cap exposure. This is definitely one of the better ones. The fee is only 0.5 percent per year. So, sorry, 0.05 percent, five basis points per year. uh, So, not a whole lot there. Uh, I've talked before over the long period of time, small caps tend to outperform large caps. Now, if you look back over the last ten years, that's not the case. But the you know the 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 span of uh, investment markets, small caps typically do better because they have more upside, right? where uh, if you have a large cap, it can go down to zero, right, and go bankrupt. Uh, Where you have a small cap, it can do that, but it's multiples higher uh, potential upside. And so that's why small caps tend to outperform. Um, So the good thing about this is also its sector breakdown. It's only 12% technology where the typical, the S&P 500, it's the 600, 600 is small cap, 500 is large cap. This, the S and P 500 is about double that in tech, which is obviously uh, too much. This has 15, almost 16 percent in industrials, which I really like. Still only 5 percent in energy, a little bit better than the overall indices, but not enough for me. I'd probably want to supplement this with uh, some energy exposure. Uh, same with basic materials, only 5.6, better than the S and P 500, but also supplement it with uh, some exposure there as well. So. Uh, overall, I, I kind of like the the sector breakdown uh, and the fact that if you are young and you're willing to take a, a good amount of risk and you don't want to do a whole lot of work, and that's really what this is. You're not doing a whole lot of work. You're just buying the index. Uh, this is a good way to get exposure overall. Now, this is InvestTalk. We're very happy to hear your caller questions that come in via our voice bank recordings, but we also love to hear your live calls as well. We've had a couple of those today over from North Carolina. What about the rest of the country? Maybe you have some questions as well. You can call us live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, each and every weekday. And of course, our number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com. HackerOne dot
3: No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. The best way to get answers that correspond with your situation is is for you to submit your questions to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. The 24-hour listener line never closes. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
1: Now we are in the start of, I think a, a period where we're gonna have rolling mini crises. Everyone's going to call them. Everyone's going to think that the world's going to blow up. Um, but you know, the powers that be are going to do their best to step in and, and quell any problems. Now, will that ultimately be enough down the road? We shall see. But what I think you're going to see in the the medium term are are problems that are similar to what you're seeing in Japan and the UK. And a couple of weeks ago, there was chaos in the UK guilt market, as they call it. We call it our government debt treasuries. They call them guilts. And the governments within the UK did a big U-turn. And they pulled back a lot of their stimulus package. And that was mainly driven by tax cuts, 45 billion pounds worth of tax cuts. And their hope was that it would reignite economic growth. Your typical trickle-down economic plan, and this is coming from the Conservatives in the UK. But the gilts, when that happened, swiftly sold off. And investors demanded higher interest rates because they viewed the debt as riskier. Because those, remember, cutting taxes is a form of spending. And unless they're cutting spending, actual spending elsewhere, then they're gonna have higher debt levels each and every year. And this is a big problem, not just for the government of the UK, but places like pension funds who were trying to lever themselves up, uh, just a quick primer on what they've been doing. Uh, A lot of them are interest rate swaps, which are fine and actually boost overall returns when interest rates stay low. And that's really what the bet was by a lot of these pension funds. But when interest rates start to go up, that's when you start to lose, and there were margin calls, and there were problems, and so this, these Wall Street-driven, or in um, uh, in the UK, you know, they have their own um, finance center in London that they package up these types of deals for places like pension funds within uh, the United Kingdom. And so what happens here is when interest rates go up, you have Leverage and then you have losses losses and leverage often means big problems and that's what you're seeing uh, in the pension funds right now now there are these little issues throughout the world. uh, Who made bad decisions in an environment where you had low interest rates for an extended period of time a decade plus across the world Remember in Europe, how many negative yielding uh, securities there were well clearly you know kind of the chickens are coming home to roost right now and those that took leverage especially within the bond market they're the ones that are having the biggest trouble right now and then any floating rate debt you're seeing that in the UK housing market typical mortgage rates there are not 30 year fixed they are two and five year fixed deals which means after that they start to float and now they're more they're over 6% for the first time in over a decade and people are worried about insurance companies as well as pension funds and you know, they're, they're delicate at this moment. So the big question is, will this spread across the world? And it certainly has a, had an impact here on the U.S. Uh, but the traditional banking system, both here in the U.S. and the U.K., that's pretty resilient. You know, where your deposits are, uh, the, the changes made in the, the amount of capital that's sitting on those bank balance sheets is plenty enough to handle almost anything that, that hits the, the global economy. It's really the shadow banking system where there could be bigger issues. And also if you think about other emerging market debt countries as well, who, you know, remember that's where the Asian financial crisis in the late nineties with the Thai bot, that was a big problem. And that was kind of the start of Greenspan, lowering rates just to kind of bail out everything and get, get the juices flowing, get asset prices up and kind of paper over the problems. And that was the start of going down the path of eventually QE one, QE two, QE three, and then QE infinity, uh, especially post the uh, COVID shutdown. So all of this is means that a decade plus of managing the costs of capital to such low levels, it's really hiding a lot of problems across the world in investments that are levered and debt laden because that's really the big issue is right higher interest rates doesn't affect really a company especially if you have low amount of debt on your balance sheet if interest rates go up a little bit no sweat off your back yeah it might slow the economy overall but you know for most con- uh, companies it's not a huge deal it's a huge deal when you have long duration assets uh, go, and you've seen that with growth stocks you've seen that with long duration bonds right 20 30 year bonds all of that is kind of I don't say blowing up, but going down a lot. Right? Twenty twenty, there were thirty-year treasuries that were issued, yielding one point five percent. Today, those same treasuries, just two and a half years later, are down fifty percent, five zero in treasuries. Now, yes, you can get your principal back once they uh, mature, but that's thirty years from now. So that's really the issue here: is these longer dated assets and then leverage and I think we're in a time period where, uh, and today's an example, the Fed sees this issue, they see what's happening in Japan, they see what's happening in the UK, and they don't want to have a Lehman type moment in the sovereign bond market. So the big thing is about the dollar, that's kind of the double whammy here. It's not just higher rates, but it's also weaker currency, whether that's the pound, whether that's the yen, and you're gonna see these problems arise, but it makes the dollar and the, and the Fed even more important in that environment. And so. Uh, i definitely see the fed pivoting and being strategic to try to tighten financial conditions do what they can to bring down inflation but ultimately they also know that it's there's two sides of it. There's the supply side there's also the demand side they can only do things about the demand side and it's a blunt instrument right higher rates are blunt instruments uh so they're they're likely to step in adjust their, their language and you've seen that with the the pause really the pause uh language to kind of quell the hawkish tilt that they've had uh and so I don't think it's gonna to spread to the financial broader financial system because the main co- uh, banks have plenty of capital and the Fed's there to kind of do, do swap lines and do things that make sure that nothing really uh, cascades in a terrible way. Uh, and today is a good example of that. Now it's a busy Friday and I have a KPP premium newsletter highlight coming up. But first let's fit in a live call from Robert in Pleasanton looking at Broadcom.
0: Hey there, Justin. So I noticed that Broadcom had a, a pretty good day today. Um, looks like
2: uh, you know, it's, it's finding some kind of strength here. I'm just curious to know what
1: you think about it. Okay, Broadcom, that has pulled back just with the whole chip sector overall and everyone out there. Broadcom, $182 billion market cap company, supposed to earn $37 a share this year, $40 a share next year. But those analysts expectations are coming down so that's one of the reasons why you're seeing uh the downturn in uh this in this stock as well as the sector as a whole uh yields 3.6 percent which is nice and it is at some pretty good support um so of the chip names this is definitely up there on my list uh to purchase now uh definitely closed so far this week uh, in a bullish manner, just like the rest of the market. So I'm gonna give this, at least near term, a thumbs up. If you can continue to see weakness in the the broad semiconductor space, this is gonna go down with it. But it's definitely one of the best run chip makers in the world. Uh, if you look at its profitability metrics and its consistency of its uh, of its business, it's well diversified, very well diversified. They don't make a ton of high-end chips, but a lot of different types of chips that go into Apple iPhones, uh, Samsung Galaxy devices, uh, computer switches and uh, laptops and things like that. So very, very well diversified. And that's one reason I really like it. And long-term, it's return on equity. Right now, it's 44%. Now, that's higher than it typically is because if you're looking backwards, that's probably going to mean revert. the mean is closer to 25%. So that's another reason why I think I'd be patient on it. Um, But the price that I would want to pick this up is... 330. Now it's at 450. I think that's major support around 330. So I uh, could get a near-term boost, but I would be patient on it to find a better buying opportunity in the next year or so. Thanks for the call. Now, the KAPP Premium Newsletter ha- was finished today, and it was distributed to subscribers or will be uh, distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And I have a preview. Now, in the market conditions section, we explained that building on last week's bounce, the market started this week with strength. Investors were relieved to see better than expected earnings reports from multiple large blue chip companies. For example, airline stocks that spiked, American Airlines, Delta, and United came in with higher profits and a stronger forecast. So the consumers out there, they're still traveling and things are continuing to improve for uh, at least the leisure part of their business. Now, IBM shares rose as much as 6% after the technology conglomerate surpassed analyst estimates for the third quarter and lifted its growth projections for the full year Procter & Gamble also topped Wall Street estimates but they did say that they're expecting foreign currencies to hit its fiscal 2023 results more than previously expected which you know that that should be known right even know the strong dollar for these multinationals is going to be a bit of a problem at least near term now it's important to note that the robust earnings reports or better than expected company forecasts go against what the Fed is trying to accomplish and, well, the Fed, and how? The Fed is trying to slow the economy, increase unemployment, reduce spending. So it can it can be anticipated that the Fed will continue down its path of tightening monetary policy until there is a destruction point. And we talked about that before. This is kind of that dis- destruction point, right? Uh, it's not it's clearly not going to be mainly in the corporate credit market. Look at the yield spreads. It's not there, right? They're, they're not blowing out like they did in 2020 or 'oh eight Uh, they're they're relatively steady, they're up a little bit, but modestly. It's not where the risk is. You're focusing there, you're focusing the wrong space. Okay. Now the housing sector is an area that has probably seen the most immediate effect of higher interest rates. Existing home sales are selling at the slowest pace since September 2012, with the the exception of a brief drop at the start of the COVID crisis. Now, international economics are feeling the pressure. China's National Bureau of Statistics abruptly, abruptly canceled the release of quarterly GDP figures after just hours before it was set to be published without providing really a reason why, or setting a new date. The Hong Kong index is now off 50% from its highest set in February of 2021. That's where the issue is. It's in these foreign markets because of that strong dollar. Now in the stock ideas section, we focus on a company that develops and supports software services, devices, and solutions. Segments include productivity and business processes, intelligent cloud, and more personal computing. It's one of the largest and most fundamentally sound companies in the world. Although the technology sector has its pressures and could surely pull back further, this stock is a name that should remain on your watch list. And we name names in the newsletter. Actually, we also touch on a grocer offering fresh and natural derived products. I think that's actually one we own for clients. So we name names, once again, in the newsletter. Now, there's there's a good deal of valuable information in the KAPP Premium Newsletter. When you subscribe at investtalk.com, you will receive the newsletter each Saturday morning via your inbox. Just subscribe at investtalk.com. Now, let's touch a bit on sentiment. Sentiment, talked about this, and some new reports from the AAII, the American Association of Individual Investors, and the number of... Individual investors that expect the stocks to drop over the next six months is up to 55.9%. That's up from 547 last week. And pessimism is at a high level. 31 out of 39 weeks this year, it's been above the historical average of 305 And this can often signal at least a near-term rally in markets. And that's why I've said before just a small little pause can mean a lot of short covering people uh, that are, are trying to catch up uh, and that were under and saying, oh, well, things are turning around Let me get more positive and it kind of piles in It kind of feeds on itself uh, at least near term. So uh, very similar levels that we saw in June, we got that bear market rally. That was a robust rally. That was about 20% in the S&P. And in bear markets, those rallies can be very tradable, very profitable, uh, but also could be a time for you to Rethink your portfolio. What is outperforming? What is underperforming? That's going to be key here. Pay attention to that because while a rising tide lifts all boats, it's going to be those that lead on the upside. Those are likely to be the ones that maybe buck the trend if we roll back over uh, and will probably continue to lead us if this is the ultimate bottom of this bear market, which still could potentially be. I know things look terrible, but you have to be open to All ideas, just because everything in the news looks really bad, doesn't mean that that's not priced in. And you could uh, see a very different Fed in the first quarter that could could bring interest rates down 100, 150 basis points from where they're at now, potentially. And that's why you have to monitor this. If interest rates stay up here, right uh, around 4% on on the 10 year for, an extended period of time, I think that is going to weigh on on markets, weigh on the economy as a whole, and so that's something else I'm uh, I'm keying in on. What sectors are going to lead on this bear market rally? Uh, what happens with interest rates and the dollar? If those stay relatively high, well then it's unlikely that this rally is going to have a ton of legs. If you have a larger pullback, that can mean something more. So you really have to key in on those little details to give you a sense of, is the coast clear or is this an opportunity to just simply lighten up? Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99 chart
3: Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com.
2: Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Art from Tucson. I'm calling in about NP Materials Corp. And that's ticker symbol MP, largest rare earth miner in the Western Hemisphere and seems to have good resistance maybe in the mid-20s. It's at 28 and change now. I have a small position in it, thinking about expanding it. It looks like this could have a very good future, seeing the demand for, for rare earth metals and how we're going to be doing more manufacturing in the United States like to get your opinion on it tell me what you think thanks i'll listen on the podcast
1: all right looking at mp materials and yes this is the largest domestic manufacturer or domestic miner of rare earth minerals and processes of those minerals as well Our revenues continue to grow pretty dramatically and i do agree this is in the crosshairs of the type of company you want to own hard asset Definitely needed in a time where we're likely to onshore ma- more manufacturing. Just think of what's happening with the chip, chips bill. And it's at support. It's looking it's looking like it's had having good relative strength in the near term, up over 6% today. Certainly out, outperforming the market, made a higher low uh, this week as well. So I'm going to give this one a, a thumbs up. MP Materials, thanks for the call. Now on Fridays, Steve generally makes time to fit in a quick rundown of the key benchmark numbers. And so I wanna hit that for you right now. The two-year yield was at 4.504%. That was just a tad higher from 4.502% uh, last week, but way, way up. From 43 weeks back, it was at 0.64%. So you see how fast uh, rates have moved. That's the two-year. The 10-year at 4.223, up pretty nicely from last week at 4.012. So up 21 basis points in a week. That's a pretty big move. That's the that's the Bank of Japan selling Treasuries most likely. Now gold is priced at 1652. Definitely had a nice week overall. uh and Last week it was at 1645, so up slightly, but uh, definitely got some nice follow through from the miners, uh, and those typically lead, and they're starting to lead again uh, when you're in a bullish stance when it comes to precious metals. Silver today, 19.15 announced. That was up from 18.22 announced last week. So up nearly a dollar there. And once again, silver, another thing that typically leads when precious metals are in a bull market. So definitely a solid week uh, for that space. A lot of it had to do with the weaker dollar. Now oil was selling at 84.99 a barrel, down a tad from last week, 86.20. And we're coming up on uh, the end of strategic oil reserve release through the end of this year. Uh, and so I think that's going to probably give some, some floor to markets. They already said they're going to buy when it gets uh, around $70 per barrel. So, you know, that that provides a floor and likely means, you know, more upside. That's why you saw the energy stocks do so well this week is because a little bit weaker dollar and basically a guaranteed floor that, hey, the, the, the government's going to come in and buy uh, at a certain low price if it ever gets there. Now, the national average for gasoline, $3.82, down $0.08 cents per gallon from last week but still up dramatically from 36 weeks ago when it was $3.57, but down pretty nicely from 20 weeks, 21 weeks ago when it was $4.59. So down about 20% uh, since uh, 21 weeks back. Now here in California, $5.83 today. Yeah, it continues to get more expensive except for last week it was $6.15. So a bit of a relief there. Texas, you're lucky, only $3.20. 4 cents per gallon. Now, before we close today, I want to touch a bit on options market positioning and the CBO three-month 10 Delta Implied Correlation Index prices how traders expect the market to move in the case of a major positive shock, and it's starting to climb. And, tip, and what that means is if there is a positive news event like a Fed pause, it's more likely that we're going to get a strong rally. And that's what this indicator uh, is telling us. And if you look at the, the breadth indication, on down days over the last month, 96% of stocks, or sorry, 75% of stocks were down. On up days, 96% of stocks were up. So you're getting that broad-based participation on the upside, and usually in a down market, it's the flip, it's the opposite of that. So another kind of sign that a near-term bounce is not offing. Well, I think that does it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Talk program. Steve Peasley, and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We passed the 46.4 million mark today. Uh, and, or actually, tonight, we're going to do that. Thanks to you. And I appreciate you all tuning in. Independent thinking shared success. This is Invest Talk. Enjoy your weekend. Talk is a trademark of
0: KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program,